The idea that we have so many people dying every single day from gun violence in America is a blemish on our character as a nation. Well, you can tell this is going to be a cheery show. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening pleasure. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Burden Square Radio, and Detour Talk Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today, and welcome to the Bradcast. Boy, oh boy. Uh, You know, the last week or so on this program, I've had a very difficult time deciding which topics to cover. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I know. It's difficult. There, there's a lot. Uh, there is a lot happening. Uh, hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. There, but there's a lot happening right now, but uh, particularly as the Republican Party seems to be disintegrating in various ways before our eyes. And as this is happening, frankly, it feels just so sleazy to cover, so sensationalistic. And yet many of these stories are quite legitimate stories, sleazy as they may be, as opposed to, you know, how Fox News finds some controversial words that are taken out of context from some Democrat uh, and then turn it into some scandalous crisis, which it isn't. Uh, You know, that's that that's sort of of, that's sort of what the GOP is doing, for example, when they try to figure out how to oppose Joe Biden's two point two five trillion dollar infrastructure, jobs and climate proposal known as the American Jobs Plan. There's plenty of things you could uh, criticize about it. But the things that they are picking out of there, the reasons they are doing so, what, $400 billion for elder care? That's not infrastructure. That's a scandal, a boondoggle. Now, whether you consider health care for our elderly to be infrastructure or not, or the ability to you know, care for the elderly so that working class people can actually go to work, knowing that their parents are being looked after, whether you consider that to be infrastructure or not, 
are you really against that? Are you really against removing lead pipes from homes and schools that have poisoned our water systems? Because for some reason you don't believe that water systems are infrastructure? Because the, the majority of Americans, Republicans and Democrats alike, all support funding those things, whether you wish to you know, believe that they qualify as infrastructure or not. There is no actual scandal in this, though that is the way it's sort of being reported on Fox News and by Republican lawmakers. Aha, look, this isn't infrastructure. You'd think they were exposing some great con that was being pulled off by Democrats. Anyway... Desi Doyen, you will have more on that in our latest <laughs> Green News report later yes. this hour. Uh, but what's going on in the GOP right now feels genuinely sleazy and tabloidy, which makes me, frankly, disinclined to cover any of it, even though I arguably should, because a lot of this stuff is quite important. The entire Matt Gates saga and the investigation said to be probing allegations of child sex trafficking by the congressman from Florida. That is a real story with one of Donald Trump's top supporters facing uh, potentially very real jail time, potentially a lot of it. And of course, if there is an indictment, I'm sure we will cover that. But, you know, covering each and every salacious beat in this story, you might you may have noticed we haven't much talked about it at all. Today, it looks like his friend, Matt Gates's friend, the uh, former Florida tax collector, said to have helped him procure young girls who is uh, facing himself some 33 federal charges already. Well, <clears throat> he is reportedly cooperating with federal investigators against Matt Gates, which could lead to big trouble for Florida's Republican congressman and reportedly other Florida GOP officials. So it is a real story. It is an important story. It is not a made up story. It is. Uh, yeah, it is sensationalistic, but it's news. It's a real story. And yet I hate covering it because it just feels so slimy and so sensational well, and it is. tabloidy. And, you know, and people are also taking up the prurient interest part of this instead of the actual damage that was done, say, to the young women who were allegedly trafficked here. The uh, same uh, in some respect is true, uh, by the way, as far as things that just feel sleazy to me. And uh, just kind of gross. Uh, it's a story about the GOP's pretend turn against big corporations who have come out in opposition to voter suppression laws around the country. A very important story, but it all just feels so cheap and phony and tawdry to me. The GOP is trying to undermine voting rights to hang on to power. That is the story. All of their claims now to be furious about these companies. How dare they, uh, you know, speak out in favor of democracy? Uh, you know, and, and so now the Republicans are pretending to go after big corporations uh, so that they can become the party of the working man. Well, that is just nonsense. It's sleazy nonsense. It's cheap. It's a lie. But unfortunately, this is all very real news right now. Donald Trump was ripping off his own supporters to the tune of tens of millions of dollars by using a pre-checked 
checkbox to turn donations made before the election last year into monthly donations without uh, donors realizing it and then turning them into weekly recurring donations that most donors did not notice before agreeing to allow the Trump campaign to siphon their credit cards and their bank accounts in this sleazy little scheme. This is what the Republican Party is doing right now. Well, you could argue it's only Donald Trump doing it, but no, it appears to be much bigger than just Donald Trump. The New York Times ran an expose on what Trump is doing, reporting that the, uh, the over the weekend, uh, reporting that the Trump campaign had to return more than $100 million to Donors who had complained about the practice of, well, pretty much having their money stolen from them by the Trump campaign. There were fraud complaints, uh, reportedly hundreds of them issued to credit card companies over this practice. And even as that slimy story broke, uh, we have now learned today that it's not only the Trump campaign that is which, by the way, is continuing to collect, was continuing to collect money from its sucker donors for weeks, even after the election was over. But it wasn't just the Trump campaign now. We learned that the Republican Party itself is still doing it. As the Washington Post reports today, the National Republican Congressional Committee, the NRCC, threatened its own donors that it will tell former President Donald Trump that they are defectors. Seriously, that is the word that they use. They, they'll tell Trump that you are a defector if you choose to opt out of giving recurring monthly funds to uh, the NRCC, the campaign arm for the House GOP. After donating to the NRCC, donors are shown a yellow box with a small pre-checked box that warns, quote, if you uncheck this box, we will have to tell Trump you're a defector. Mm. Left checked and the supporter will be agreeing to contribute every month, uh, though that part of the box is not in bold type. So it's at the bottom. It's very hard to notice below all of the bold capitalized We'll tell Trump that you're a defector stuff. That's yeah, all in, in, in all caps. That's the stuff you notice, not the, oh, by the way, well, you're agreeing to uh, do this every single month for whatever amount you have just given us. For as long until you notice that we were doing it. Yeah. The Post reports the tactic uh, roundly criticized by campaign finance, uh, finance experts is deceptive. The Post also notes it was employed by the Trump campaign to shore up its dwindling coffers uh, before the before and after the 2020 election. Trump supporters who intended to donate only once were unwittingly enrolled to give weekly because they did not read the fine print, requiring them to uncheck the box, according to the Times investigation, resulting in credit card complaints, overdrafts and the Trump campaign. Uh, being forced to refund tens of millions of dollars to its own supporters that they had stolen from. Including, by the way, as the Times reported, a, a man who was uh, suffering from cancer in hospice care at the time. He thought he was contributing $200. He later learned that he had given the campaign thousands of dollars unwittingly. The Trump team continued those recurring payments for more than a month after the November election. And now the NRCC's use of recurring payments 
has drawn comparisons to the uh, Trump scheme. Craig Holman, a lobbyist on good government issues at Public Citizen, who we like a lot. We have not had him on this show for, <laughs> for years. For a while, yeah. We need to get Craig Holman back. Anyway, he's quoted in the Post as saying that requests for recurring donations are common, but should always offer clear instructions and should not threaten repercussions if a donor opts out. By the way, you can sign up for a monthly donation for Bradblog at <laughs> bradblog.com slash donate, but we do not trick you into doing so. It's your choice. There's no pre-checked options for this. And no threats if you change your mind. <laughs> Well, I'm reconsidering that. There may be some some threats. Anyway, the Republicans' tactic, uh, according to Holman, is, quote, extortion akin to blackmail. He calls it highly unethical, but says it is not illegal. Political donors who feel duped or coerced, however, do not have a lot of legal recourse under campaign finance or consumer protection laws. So, you know, that even that. It's notable news. It's noteworthy news. This is not some, you know, campaign out in, you know, pick your tiny little town, some, you know, sleazy campaign that is doing this. This is the National Republican Congressional Committee and, yes, the now former president of the United States. So, uh, you know, while I would rather ignore these some of these stories altogether, sometimes I just can't, no matter how sleazy they are, because they have to do with something or someone who I've covered closely in the past. And yes, all of this has been a long preamble for where we are going. If you think it's sleazy so far, buckle up. My weird encounter with the Alabama Secretary of State began back in 2017 after the special election for the U.S. Senate, you may recall, in which uh, Democrat Doug Jones then defeated far-right accused child molester Roy Moore to become the first Democratic senator from the state of Alabama in Lord knows how long. See, that story was already sleazy. Uh, But on election night, Alabama's Secretary of State was interviewed on CNN Uh, stating that, quote, any candidate can ask for a recount, and if they pay for it, they can receive a recount. Because, yes, even back then they were complaining, oh, it's impossible, Roy Moore couldn't have possibly lost. But the thing was, when the Secretary of State went on CNN and said any candidate's welcome to ask for a recount, that was not true, not under Alabama's election law. I believe the law requires that you have uh, have to be within a 0.5 of a percent or less in order to uh, to ask for a recount. Point being that you apparently knew more about election law in Alabama than the Alabama Secretary of well, State. Well, it seems like I do, but it wasn't on this point. This point was actually made by someone who knows arguably more about certainly election law than I do, Rick Hassan, the highly regarded UC Irvine election law professor. He noted as much on Twitter that uh, the secretary of state was wrong, according to the law, and he copied and you know pasted a, a, a section of the election code on Twitter and said, you know, am I missing something? Well, in response, the secretary of state blocked Rick Hassan on Twitter. Again, Hassan is a well-regarded election law expert who covers elections in all 50 states on his well-known election law blog. 
But the Alabama Secretary of State blocked him anyway for correctly pointing out that he had been wrong about Alabama's election law on election night on CNN. Well, days later, the uh, Alabama Secretary of State somehow injected himself into a Twitter exchange that I was having with others about the state's electronic tabulation system. And the, uh, he, the secretary broke into this Twitter conversation to insist repeatedly and inaccurately to me that Alabama's computerized paper ballot scanners, quote, do not capture or preserve digital ballot images, which those are the images, the, the, the photographs, if you will, that are taken of each ballot as it is scanned. He was claiming that the systems they use in Alabama, that they don't have that functionality. Well, that is wrong. And some election integrity folks uh, like to uh, get access to those ballot images in order to determine if the results that are reported by the uh, election systems are accurate or not. But Alabama systems absolutely do capture those ballot images, as had been made clear during a successful state court action that had happened just before the election. I pointed that out. Um, and so the secretary at the time, who, again, jumped into the conversation with me <laughs> on Twitter, either the secretary was lying or, frankly, as likely, he had no idea how his own election systems actually worked. And I was very polite about it. I asked him to respond to uh, hard evidence showing that, yeah, he was simply just incorrect. And uh, he ended up, what did he do? You can guess he blocked me on Twitter as well, making it very hard for me to do my job in covering elections in all 50 states, certainly not in Alabama, where I can't read what the Alabama Secretary of State has to say. Suffice to say, it was a very bizarre exchange on Twitter that led to, you know, him blocking me. That was 2017. That brings us then to 2018, when a court had ruled that public officials, uh, in that case, Donald Trump, uh, were actually violating constitutional free speech rights when they blocked people on Twitter. So I sent the Secretary of State of Alabama, I sent a, a query to his office to see if he intended to unblock the many people that I had learned he had also blocked. Donald Trump was actually ordered to unblock those that he had blocked, that had sued him about it. And uh, it turned out that uh, the secretary had was famous for blocking people on Twitter. He would, you know, put out some comment and then block them. Not just me, not just Rick Hassan, but other, uh, you know, election experts and so forth. Uh, so I then I, I just sent a note to his office to say, hey, are you going to unblock people now that the federal court has found that to be unlawful? And I received an insane string of bizarre emails from the guy and even phone calls from the Alabama secretary of state to my personal cell phone number from Alabama's top election official about this. It was all kind of nuts, and it included emails from the Alabama secretary of of state uh, you know, that I reported on on this program. I posted in full at bradblog.com at the time. You can now go and read them as well. They're still there. In which he told me in these emails, quote, that I have uh, problems bigger than one that I have the ability to solve, he said, though he didn't specify what the problem was. <laughs> he said that I lived with my mother 
which I don't. He said that I have, quote, absolutely no idea what I'm talking about and that I should try to, quote, get a job with an elections program system so I can, quote, contribute to the discussion as an expert in the field. <laughs> That's just a taste of what he had to say. So something about this guy was just not right, just not right about this guy. It was really weird. Alabama's Republican Secretary of State, John Merrill. And yet, well, until yesterday afternoon, this guy, John Merrill, was considered to be a front runner to fill the U.S. Senate seat being vacated by retiring Alabama Senator Richard Shelby, retired Republican Alabama Senator, of course, Richard Shelby. Well, Alabama's Secretary of State John Merrill on Wednesday, uh, as of Wednesday afternoon at least, does not appear as if he will be running for the U.S. Senate anytime soon. He admitted on Wednesday afternoon that he had a, quote, an inappropriate relationship, unquote, with a 44-year-old woman hours after he had initially denied the extramarital affair on Wednesday morning. All to AL.com. The admission by Merrill, who is married and has two children, was issued hours after he had denied the fare to AL.com in an interview on Wednesday morning. Merrill accused the woman involved in the affair, a woman by the name of Cesar McPherson, of, quote, stalking and, quote, harassing him. So he went after the woman. She's a stalker. She's a harasser. He said. Uh, Cesar, uh, Cesar, however you say her name, McPherson, uh, in turn, provided AL.com a short statement and a 17-minute audio recording of a phone conversation that she had with Merrill last October. She had receipts. Oops. This conversation was when both of them discussed various sexual acts that they engaged in during dozens of romantic encounters. McPherson claimed that uh, these uh, encounters happened between November of 2017 and November of 2020. Cool. Right around the same time that the guy was calling my cell phone and leaving me messages and telling me that I lived with my mother, who, by the way, is lovely and I would be delighted to live with her. So I'm not sure what that's about. Also, that I should get a real job uh, and, you know, all the other stuff he was on about. During the conversation, Merrill seems to try and end his relationship with McPherson, who was reluctant to break off the affair. He told her that they had met for the last time and that he was seeking help from the Lord to stay away from her. Apparently, it took AL.com actually playing a portion of that call for... Secretary of State Merrill before he would admit to the affair that he had denied just hours earlier. Told you it was a sleazy show. Here is a portion of that call. Safe for air, I believe. Yes. That AL.com played for Republican Alabama Secretary of State, John Merrill. So, the last time that we had sex, that's the last time ever... Good day. That's the last time ever? It's supposed to be the last time ever. But is it the last time ever? It 
should be the last time ever. I don't want it to be the last time ever. I know that. Do you want it to be? Two. Why? I've already told you that. We've talked about that every time we talk today. Oh, God. But you know it's not going to be. You've done this I don't know how many times to me. I can't even keep track. Pretty sleazy. Yeah. And I'm sorry to have to play that, but and and I was I really wasn't sure if I should. Um, but uh, you know, he went out. Secretary of State went out, slimed this woman. She had to come out with the receipts. So this is a guy who was running for the U.S. Senate. At least he had made clear that he was before all of this happened. So uh, Merrill then went on to indicate to uh, AL.com after admitting that, yes, he did all of this, uh, that he will not, after all, run for the U.S. Senate. He said, uh, it's clear that I had an inappropriate relationship with her and it is not something that I am proud of or something that is something that I'm very disappointed in myself. I'm also disappointed that I allowed my family to be embarrassed by this action. And it's something that I certainly will always regret because of the pain that it has caused my family. Uh, he said, I will obvious. And by the way, I know it sounds like he's like rambling and not uh, making full, complete sentences here. That's what he sounds like. Yeah. That's what he sounded like when he called me. He said, I will obviously not be a candidate for the United States Senate, nor will I be seeking any other elected position in 2022, because I think it's important to me to make sure that I become the man that I have been before and that I am working to put myself in the position to be the leader that I have been before as a husband, as a father, as a friend, as an elected official. So uh, those uh, allegations about McPherson having this uh, affair, or actually McPherson's allegations about Merrill having the affair, were uh, made public first yesterday. This all happened very quickly on the right-wing right wing website National File. Why would a right-wing website trash a Republican official? Well, a much farther right-wing Republican Congressman Mo Brooks of Alabama, the firebrand who spoke right before Donald Trump on January 6th at the rally at the White House. He is also hoping to win the Republican nomination to fill that U.S. Senate seat that is being vacated next year by Senator Richard Shelby. In uh, uh, it's uh, don't worry, we're going to get to a break soon. Everybody can go take a shower. <laughs> in 2015, uh, Merrill was involved in a separate scandal after another woman alleged that she performed oral sex on him in 2010. He denied the encounter went that far, but admitted that he and the woman kissed and she unbuttoned his shirt and took off his belt and fondled him. OK, sorry. Uh, Merrill. Secretary of State of Alabama, he has not resigned. He chairs the Republican Secretaries of State Executive Committee. He still does today. And his campaign uh, website featured uh, Merrill for Senate marketing materials as of uh, Wednesday afternoon. His campaign manager listed himself as working for Merrill uh, for Senate on social media. And he's a guy 
who made headlines in 2019 for stating in a town hall that homosexual activities and wife swap shows are driving moral decline in America. Really, Mr. Secretary? Throughout his time as Secretary of State, he has repeatedly drawn the ire of voting rights advocates and Democrats for policies that are antithetical to free and fair elections. In fact, he went all the way to the Supreme Court before 2020 to block counties who had uh, uh, who were allowing people to vote from their car curbside voting in order to avoid catching uh, the coronavirus and dying from covid. And by the way, he was successful in that action. This is not the first time an Alabama political titan has, of course, been taken down by extramarital affairs. You'll remember that then in 2017, an impeachment investigation led to then Alabama Governor Robert Bentley, his resignation, arrest and conviction after he uh, allegedly misused public funds to hide his affair with a top political aide. There were cringeworthy texts that came out of that. And, of course, there was the mess in 2017 when Republican U.S. Senate candidate Roy Moore, also a Bible thumper, was accused of sexual assault uh, many years earlier by a series of women, including some that were underage at the time of the unwelcome sexual contact. One other element uh, to this John Merrill story, again, according to AL.com, uh, he apparently uh, said late last night that he he did not use racist language, as alleged by Cesar McPherson, the woman that he has now admitted to having an extramarital affair with. Uh, Wade Perry, the executive director of the Democratic Party, said, quote, with the exception of the use of state resources to facilitate his affair, Merrill's personal life and conduct are just that personal. The Democratic Party, he said, is much more concerned about the allegation that he regularly referred to African-American judges and citizens in Alabama as, quote, the coloreds. Checking the calendar here, it's uh, 2021, I think, but uh, John Merrill allegedly is referring to African-American judges and citizens and, yes, voters as the colors, coloreds. Uh, if true, uh, the uh, director of the Democratic Party uh, said uh, he must apologize and resign immediately. Merrill said the allegation about racist language was false. Of course, uh, he also said the allegation about the affair was false until presented with indisputable evidence of a recorded phone call that showed that it wasn't. Merrill said, I never referred to African-Americans and black folks as coloreds. I don't do that. I've never done that. As for whether he used state resources to facilitate to facilitate the affair, Merrill said he had issued a statement and he would not be commenting any further on any of this. I don't have any other things to say about this particular incident now or in the future, he said. Well, I suppose I could call him and ask him. He kept giving me his phone number at the time via email and in the, the the phone messages that he left for me. He actually got angry with me that I took his phone number out of the emails that he had sent me when I posted them. Because he asked me to share that cell phone number publicly, which I didn't do because I thought he was nuts. And apparently uh, he preferred talking on the phone so that his comments 
would not be seen publicly on Twitter. Now, however, I suspect he's probably having second thoughts about that whole phone thing. So, yeah, told you it was sleazy. Sorry. Let's take a quick break here so I can take a quick shower and you can as well. (laughs) We will be back with more, maybe, maybe less salacious news, but we'll see. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to the Bradcast with my apologies. Hey, this is Desi. The Bradcast and the Green News Report survive thanks to you and your support. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today to help us stay independent every day over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, so, well, so, okay, so less sleazy news. But, okay. Uh, not necessarily cheery news oh, here dear. breaking uh, while we were in that break. I'm going to talk about what uh, Joe Biden did regarding um, new gun, uh, new executive orders regarding gun safety here in just a moment. And this story breaks while we're. Uh, in the commercial break there, um, at least one person was killed, four others injured in a shooting at an industrial park in Bryan, Texas, mm. according to uh, police. I haven't even been able to open the story yet, so I'm not even sure where Bryan, do you know Bryan, happen to know Bryan, Texas? Uh, I do, does? but, uh, you know, it's hard to describe where okay. it is. So. Well, uh, so the mass shootings apparently continue day in, day out, day in, day out in these United States. And so in an address at the White House Rose Garden on Thursday, President Joe Biden announced six executive actions aimed at curbing gun violence around the nation that after Republicans for years have simply refused to allow any actual action, even low-hanging fruit like closing loopholes on background checks, Republicans have absolutely disallowed any such legislation to move through Congress. Flanked by Vice President Kamala Harris and brand spanking new U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland, Joe Biden thanked family members of those killed by gun violence for attending the ceremony on Thursday. Parents whose children were killed at the Sandy Hook, Connecticut school massacre back in 2012. The school shooting at Marjorie Stoneman uh, Stoneman Douglas High School in uh, Parkland, Florida in 2018 and other mass shootings in recent years. As AP reports, Biden emphasized the scope of the problem. Uh, noting between between the mass killings in Atlanta massage parlors and the Boulder, Colorado grocery store shooting last month, there were more than 850 additional shootings that killed 250 people and injured 500 in the U.S., he said. Biden called the scourge of gun violence across the U.S. an international embarrassment. Gun violence in this country is an epidemic, and it's an international embarrassment. Everything that's being proposed today is totally consistent with the Second Amendment. 
And there's a wide consensus behind the need to take action. I know that when overwhelming majorities of Americans want to see something change that will affect their lives, and it still doesn't change, it can be demoralizing to our fellow citizens. It can feel like our entire political process is broken. No matter how long it takes, we're going to get these passed. We're not going to give up. We have an opportunity to fulfill the first responsibility of government, to keep our people safe. And in the process, we can show the world and show ourselves that democracy works, that we can come together and get big things done. I know the progress, even in this most difficult of issues, is possible. So, folks, this is just the start. We've got a lot of work to do. But I know almost every one of you sitting in the garden here. None of you ever given up. We're not going to give up now. The idea that we have so many people dying every single day from gun violence in America is a blemish on our character as a nation. Let me say to all of you, God bless you, but most importantly, the memory of all many of you have lost in the senseless gun violence. The president again called on the U.S. Senate to take up measures already passed by the U.S. House to close background check loopholes, to pass the Violence Against Women Act and eliminate legal immunity for gun manufacturers and to ban assault weapons and high capacity magazines like they used to be. Those actions, however, by contrast with the executive actions that uh, Biden announced today, would have to be, you know, passed as actual laws by Congress. But, of course, good luck seeing that happen in the U.S. Senate, where Republicans will not allow anything proposed by Democrats to come to a vote because they are filibustering everything, everything. But, yes, especially anything that might have to do with gun safety, God forbid. Despite how wildly popular most such measures actually are. Yes, even among Republicans and Democratic voters alike, even 90 percent of NRA members support closing uh, loopholes on background checks for buying guns. And yet that can't move through the Congress either. Biden said that all of his new executive actions on gun safety reform are common sense and supported by the vast majority of Americans and that none interfere with the Second Amendment rights. He also noted that gun violence costs the U.S. about $280 billion every year in public health costs, correctly describing the epidemic of gun violence as a public health crisis. U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland spoke to the staggering cost in human lives lost since January of this year alone. We stand here today not at a moment of tragedy, but in the midst of an enduring tragedy. So far this year, guns have taken the lives of an estimated 11,000 of our neighbors, friends, and fellow Americans. Gun deaths in our country are occurring at a staggering pace. On the order of about 100 Americans killed every day, with hundreds more wounded. That is just remarkable. 11,000 lives so far this year lost uh, to, to guns. Just since January. 
Uh, as to the executive actions, the six executive actions that the president announced on Thursday, uh, the first rule aims to prevent the sale of so-called ghost gun kits. These are handmade uh, plastic and 3D printed guns uh, that have no serial numbers and they come in uh, or they come in pieces in a kit. They are untraceable. They can be assembled in minutes. Biden's order treats ghost guns and kits as firearms that uh, under the uh, Gun Control Act, requiring that all parts must have serial numbers and require a background check in order to buy a kit. Undoubtedly, that, like most of uh, these things, will be challenged in court unless the NRA, which is facing bankruptcy proceedings right now uh, to try and avoid being dissolved by the uh, New York State Attorney General Letitia James, who charges that the uh, NRA has fraudulently violated their nonpartisan charter as a nonprofit in New York as a charity after ripping off their own members for millions of dollars, because that's what these people do. Uh, so uh, theoretically, it'll be challenged in court uh, if the NRA or one of the other gun groups even has time to focus on such things at this point. Well, I'm sure if they don't, then one of the Republican controlled state attorneys generals will. If we can find one who's not under indictment themselves. <laughs> Good luck. The uh, second action, another executive order would prevent the sales of an arm brace that effectively turns a pistol into a into a rifle, into a short barreled rifle and stabilizes it, makes it more lethal. Uh, in the third action, the Department of Justice will introduce model red flag legislation that is already uh, in use in some states, which allows family members to ask a court to temporarily block access, uh, family members or police, I believe, law enforcement, to ask a court to uh, temporarily block access to guns for those in danger of harming themselves or others. But, of course, this is only model legislation that they're just putting out there, basically telling states, hey, if you can pass this, it would be great. You'll save some lives. Pretty pleased because we can't do it here because the federal government uh, is 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 so incredibly broken right now by design of the Republican Party. Uh, number four, uh, the Bureau of uh, Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms and the DOJ <clears throat> will begin issuing annual reports on gun trafficking. This will be for the first time since uh, 2000. So the first time in 20 years, really? Yes. There will be increased funding with billions in grants to community violence intervention efforts. Uh, some of these are also contained in Biden's not yet passed infrastructure proposal known as the American Jobs Plan. Uh, and finally, he also nominated gun safety advocate and 25 year veteran of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, man by the name of David Chipman, uh, to run the agency. And this is interesting there. The agency has been without a director since 2015 largely because Senate Republicans and Donald Trump and the gun lobby uh, want the bureau, apparently, to be toothless and unable to enforce gun safety laws. All of that, as noted, because Congress cannot pass any laws uh, under anything but the special arcane so-called budget reconciliation rules in the Senate where budget-related items may pass with a simple majority vote, but everything else got to get 60 votes to overcome a filibuster unless the filibuster, the legislative filibuster, 
unless those rules are somehow killed or reformed. And on that front, some not great news today either. I'm sorry to report. Uh, Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia said on Wednesday that under no circumstances would he vote to eliminate or weaken, even weaken, the legislative filibuster in his most definitive statement yet on the topic. The West Virginia senator uh, also suggested in an op-ed published in The Washington Post that he would be opposed to using the budget reconciliation process in order to circumvent the filibuster. Manchin wrote, there is no circumstance in which I will vote to eliminate or weaken the filibuster. He won't even weaken it. The time has come, he said, to end these political games and to usher a new era of bipartisanship where we find common ground on the major policy debates facing our nation. What is this guy talking about? What world is he living in? Where are these bills, Joe Manchin, that uh, you have found so much common ground with both your own party and the Republican Party? The uh, Post notes that a few weeks ago, Manchin flirted with being um, open to uh, talks about changing the filibuster. But as the ideas were floated, such as requiring senators to stay on the Senate floor to talk while blocking legislation, Uh, He seemed to bat down each one. On Wednesday, Manchin wrote in his op-ed, every time the Senate voted to weaken the filibuster in the past decade, the political dysfunction and gridlock have grown more severe. I would suggest, however, that every time Democrats weakened the filibuster, it was because they had no choice. Because, for example, Republicans would not allow any, zero, of Barack Obama's very well-qualified federal judge nominees to be seated on the bench. After years of doing that, Democrats finally took action to do away with the filibuster that blocked uh, federal uh, uh, judicial appointees. Manchin goes on to say the political games playing out in the halls of Congress only fuel the hateful rhetoric and violence we see across our country right now. The truth is my Democratic friends do not have all the answers and my Republican friends do not either. This has always been the case. As the uh, most conservative Democrat in the Senate, Manchin has an outsized role in an evenly divided Senate where absent Republican support, Democrats do need Joe Manchin to get anything passed at all. Momentum had seemed to be building for scrapping or amending the filibuster, which uh, former President uh, Obama has called a Jim Crow relic. Joe Biden, who had long defended the filibuster, has also come out in support of some changes to it, saying that it is being abused in a gigantic way. But not Joe, but not Joe Manchin. Uh, who seems to be doubling down on not doing anything about the filibuster. Now, uh, I will link to that uh, op-ed where he talks about, you know, that we need to restore bipartisan faith in our voting process uh, by assuring that their votes, by assuring all Americans that their votes will be counted, secured, and protected. Well, how about assuring that all Americans will be able to vote at all? Senator Manchin, much less have those votes counted, secured or protected. 
And by the way, our voting process has nothing to do with faith. It has to do with public participation and public oversight. Anyway, I'll link to that uh, that op-ed. Uh, this may make you feel a little bit better. We will see. I hope so. <laughs> uh, I hope so, because we're getting to your Green News report. Will that make us feel better? A little. Yeah, I doubt it. Anyway, <laughs> uh, White House Communications Director Kate Bedingfield on Thursday brushed off concerns uh, over Senate uh, Senator Joe Biden, uh, Senator Joe Manchin's reiterating his position to eliminating or weakening the filibuster in a uh, Washington Post op-ed. Bettingfield was asked to respond to his vehement defense of keeping the filibuster in place as is, and she denied that the West Virginia senator poses a threat to the president's agenda. She asserted that senators raising their concerns is simply part of the process behind advancing legislation. Bettingfield said Joe Manchin remains a key partner and said, look, this is how the process works. Senators will come forward. They'll raise their concerns. They'll raise their issues. Bettingfield emphasized that Joe Biden wants a, quote, collaborative process where Democrats and Republicans put their concerns on the table. She said what the president has said is that the only thing he finds unacceptable here is inaction. So he knows this is going to be a process where there are going to where there are are going to be compromises. There is going to be negotiation. Bettingfield reiterated that Manchin remains a key partner and that the White House is working on outreach to members of Congress on both sides of the aisle, especially when it comes to Biden's $2 trillion infrastructure plan. Feel better? Not much. We shall see how this all plays out. There you go. It's all we can do. We yep. don't make the news. We just report it. Quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report right after this on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Okay, uh, looking through your uh, Green News report today, Desi Doyen, uh, I think there's some, uh, some, some good news and some bad news. I think overall, maybe we will, in fact, all feel better <laughs> by the time uh, we finish today's Green News report. Inaction simply is not an option. President Biden responds to Republican attacks on his infrastructure jobs plan. New analysis warns of looming wave of abandoned oil and gas wells. Plus, this is about EV optimism. General Motors goes all in on an all-electric future. We go all in on those stories and many more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. To automatically say... That the only thing is infrastructure is a highway, a bridge, or whatever. That's just not rational. And did you expect today's Republican Party to be rational, Mr. President? If so, well... That's just not rational. This is your... 
Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, the Republican Party seems to really be reaching to come up with reasons to oppose Joe Biden's infrastructure plan, including, oh, that stuff is not infrastructure or something. Yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. President Joe Biden... It's not rational. Exactly. President Biden, in a White House speech on Wednesday, addressed Republican attacks on his $2 trillion American jobs plan, saying he is open to their ideas for repairing and upgrading the nation's infrastructure, but their definition needs to evolve. They say, why not focus on traditional infrastructure? Fix what we've already got. The roads and the highways that exist and the bridges. I'm happy to have that debate. But I want to say my view. We are America. We don't just fix for today. We build for tomorrow. Biden also linked infrastructure to national security, emphasizing that China and the rest of the world are already heavily investing in both old and new kinds of infrastructure that the U.S. has neglected for years and that American global competitiveness depends on it. Even if lead pipes in our water system is not considered infrastructure, and it is, why wouldn't you want to fix it anyway? The U.S. Treasury will play a critical role in the government-wide push to reach Biden's ambitious climate targets. That's according to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen this week at the International Monetary Fund's virtual spring meeting. Yellen said she will implement federal policies and incentives to push private investment toward decarbonizing the economy. To really make progress on climate, we need both public investment and private investments and things like charging stations, um, an electric electrical grid that's capable of handling renewable energy sources appropriately. These um, core investments are critical in order to provide the public infrastructure to support private investments. Yellen also said that she will ensure that financial institutions not only understand and plan for the physical risks of climate change, but also take action to minimize the potential for stranded assets, costly fossil fuel infrastructure projects that could become worthless as the world shifts to cheaper renewable energy. Could become worthless. Abandoned fossil fuel infrastructure is already a problem today. Hundreds of thousands of orphaned oil and gas wells and abandoned coal and hard rock mines in the U.S. pose serious safety hazards and are causing ongoing environmental air and water pollution. Biden's infrastructure proposal would create jobs for oil, gas and coal workers to clean up those abandoned sites. But a new analysis by the Texas Tribune and Grist warns of a looming wave of new abandoned oil and gas wells. They estimate more than 13,000 wells in Texas and New Mexico alone are likely to be abandoned in coming years by underfunded drillers known as wildcat operations, who quickly run out of money and leave, abandoning well pads that spew methane and leak into drinking water supplies. Taxpayers in those states are likely to be on the hook for nearly $1 billion in cleanup costs. Somebody should really pay someone to clean up all of those old wells. 
In other news, an appeals court has thrown out a Trump-era rule that delayed regulations controlling methane emissions from landfills, and a panel of federal appeals judges nixed a Trump administration rule that tried to block the Environmental Protection Agency from setting any future greenhouse gas limits on polluting industries. (laughs) Nice try, Trump. Finally, General Motors stock rose to record highs this week after the unveiling of an all-electric Chevy Silverado pickup truck that can go 400 miles on a single charge. GM follows carmakers Ford, Tesla, and startup Rivian in electrifying the light-duty truck market. GM says the new electric Silverado will not be slapped on the old gasoline-powered model, but instead will be redesigned from the ground up as electric only, which the company said will optimize interior capacity, performance and driving range very cool for much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com find follow and share us planet-wide on the facebooks and the twitters at green news report i'm brad friedman and i'm desi doyan and this has been your green news report so if you want my love i wish you love you don't stand the chance without a pickup truck That's what she said. (laughs) That's what she said? That's what she said. All right, there you go. Some, uh, some, uh, some pickup truck. You have no idea, by the way, how many songs that are called Pickup Truck that I had to plow through. In country uh, music, there sure are a lot. Oh, my God. But hey, it'll be an interesting idea to see what happens with electric trucks if country music changes their approach to pickup trucks at all. They're going to become more, uh, you know, a technical uh, house. Who knows? Uh, Who knows? Anyway, I hope that, uh, I hope these trucks get here soon anyway until they do we got to get out of here my thanks to our producer desi doyan thank you desi doyan and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us if you missed any portion of today's program you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com though yeah you may want to take a shower before or after (laughs) you can also drop me email if you like i'm bradcast at bradblog.com on the facebooks and the twitters i am simply the brad blog that is it we will see you there until we see you here next time i'm brad friedman good luck world yes i really must have been out of luck for it was joe with a brand new pickup truck as I waved goodbye, I heard her say, I like a man with a pickup truck. I like a man who knows how to strut his stuff. Don't want no fancy car, don't want no fancy talk. I need a man who knows how to walk that walk. Guess I was out of luck this time.